0: Yo, what's up? Welcome back to the show, Surf Splendor podcast listeners. I am your host, David Scales, and um, psyched to be bringing you a new episode. We are 24 hours behind schedule with posting this. Scott Bass was out of commission for a day or so, and um, I was unable to drive the full distance down to his house. We live an hour and a half away, we usually meet in the middle, and because he was out of commission, we were unable to meet yesterday but i was able to take today make the full drive down to his house and record today's episode so thanks for hanging in there and last week we published the episode with Todd Glazer surf photographer Todd Glazer so i hope that you enjoyed that nothing but great feedback about that and really just you know to do with Todd himself Todd gave a great interview really open candid calm casual a lot of insight into the world tour, spends time on the road with Kelly Slater a lot. So that was really a rad um, interview to get. So check that out if you have not already. I have a couple of things I want to get to today before I toss it to uh, the Surf News episode with Bassie. Two recent iTunes reviews that are worth reading. So if you listen to the show on iTunes, you can rate and review the show there, and that helps other people find it. But um, one of them is titled Listener from Taiwan. He gives it five stars, says, great podcast, listen every week in Taiwan and stoked on your guests. If you can, interview more legends. And that's from K-Chin123. K-Chin123, thank you very kindly for that. And in regards to interviewing more legends, our episode next week is with a pretty legendary dude. He's best known as a, a shaper, probably. His name's Gary Linden, but he also started, basically invented the Big Wave World Tour. And he's currently the vice president on the Big Wave World Tour. So he talks about that evolution, you know, of just surfing big waves down at Toto Santos back in the day by himself, pioneering all these big waves, not really pioneering, but surfing all these big waves around the world for the last 30 years. And, um, and then pioneering the tour itself, which, you know, is quite a story and quite a long arduous path that he's had to travel finding sponsors and just all sorts of stuff and then we talk about board building and a lot of other things you can imagine he's lived quite a life so definitely tune in for that episode next week whether you're into big wave writing or not just a super interesting dude certainly would qualify as a legend um here's another review from itunes from someone who calls themselves tall people I thoroughly enjoy listening to the podcast. You have awesome interviews and great content. So much fun to listen to. I like that you talk about pro surfers and pro free surfers. How come no J-O-B love though? Keep it up. J-O-B, obviously tall people's referring to Jamie O'Brien. And I'll be honest with you. I probably don't have a tremendous amount of love for J-O-B. I think his I think he's an incredible surfer, but I don't know. I've just been off by his antics I guess Uh, however today he posted an Instagram where he was doing a coffin ride basically laying backwards in the coffin position in a barrel at Pipeline so you may have won yourself a new fan J-O-B and tall people you may have a convert in David Scales because I've never seen anybody do a coffin ride in the barrel at Pipe before not to mention all the insane stuff he does at Pipe, board transfers and stuff like that so I'm coming around to J-O-B. It took a while, but I am coming around. He's undeniably a great surfer. One other thing that is worth mentioning is that um, surfsplendorpodcast.com, our website, we've gotten a lot of feedback that the load times on the website are really slow, that the, the, the website was loading really slow. It was loading a lot of content, basically. Well, one such listener emailed me mentioning the problem offered to help and we started a dialogue and he was able to walk me through the process and fixing it his name's edgar chamorro and so the problem is completely fixed and i offered edgar a shout out on the show if there was anything that he wanted to promote and he has a little surf related um blog that he does with a buddy called tumbo verde and he said tumbo verde is a saying from nicaragua where me and my co-creator of the website were born. During the Civil War in the 1980s, our families came here to America in exile. Anyways, Tumbo Verde means waves are pumping in so many words, or literally, the green tumblers. So that's a shout-out. If you want to go check out Edgar's website, Tumbo Verde, and if you need help with your website, maybe you can uh, email Edgar through his website, tumboverde.com, and uh, he can give you the help. Or he can give you help, just like he gave me, to get Surf Splendor Podcast back up and running, fully functioning. So if you want to check out any of the things that we discuss in today's episode or just see the link, we'll link over to Tumbo Verde, Um, definitely come to surfsplendorpodcast.com. We will have all that stuff. And one thing that Scott and I did not get around to mentioning in this episode, which is probably relatively shameful which is that stephanie gilmore just clinched her sixth world title at honolua bay this week carissa moore actually won the event in a really kind of hotly contested final against tyler wright who was also in contention for a title and had tyler wright won that final she would have been forced into a surf off with stephanie gilmore and uh, because carissa moore won the event stephanie gilmore was able to clinch her sixth world title so congratulations ladies so congratulations ladies epic event honolua bay was beautiful and um way to close out the season currently on the qualifying series side of things i am watching the final heat of the day of the vans world cup of surfing it's round three i think day two or three for that event so um solid you know eight feet not huge sunset but still super contestable and small enough to where all the uh non-hawaiians are able to make it through heats and all that sort of thing so at any rate i believe that is all that i have for the intro of today's show we are thrilled to have you tuning in once again we hope that you enjoyed today's show and i'll be back at the end with a few more details and a sign off all right thanks for listening and enjoy today's show
1: Everybody down the line, Surf Talk Radio, Scott Bass and David Lee Scales with you here on this Wednesday, December 3rd, 2014, and we're broadcasting from the downtown offices of the boardroom show, and um, David, welcome, my friend.
0: Scott, good to be back in the offices of the boardroom (laughs) show, aka your uh, surfboard storage facility. (laughs) <laughs> By the way, do you want to do ten minutes on Neil Young today? Do we really have ten?
1: Do we have ten minutes of Neil Young? Well, we you did just... last time. Oh, I know. How was... about
0: ten minutes on Cream? Since you opened up with "Sunshine of Your Love," I
1: got to move this. I got to talk. I can't. All it's right. hard to talk and not talk. The Wait.
0: the um, the, <clears> the this song "Sunshine of Your Love" was the very first song my dad taught me how to play on the guitar. Oh, really? Which I never really continued my education with right. learning how to play the guitar. But he's actually very good, and. Um, and he's been playing his whole life but he yeah this was a pretty simple one to teach so cool yeah do you ever see there's a netflix documentary called um it's something i forget the title of it exactly but it's about ginger baker oh really yeah the drummer yeah from cream yeah and he's just an insane like psychopath basically yeah ruined every relationship he's ever had in his life you know
1: why was that was there Oh, something the, that fueled that? He's just manic, yeah. you know?
0: And yeah, definitely drugs fueled it for sure. Yeah. But um, a lot of chaos and is an incredible drummer, but just had fits of rage and a lot of violence and stuff like that. But it's a really interesting documentary. Opens up with him hitting the filmmaker in the head with his cane, you know, because <laughs> he's upset at him with something. Just and cause... so just, yeah, whacks him in the head and it's bleeding and stuff. Should I see that? Should I see yeah. this movie? It's yeah. something... I wish I could, I can't think of the name right now, but just search Ginger Baker on Netflix and you'll find it.
1: Right. So. Now, um, I'm a little bit, uh, I might be off here, but was Ginger Baker in the band too? Because mm. there was a Ginger guy that was in the band, the drummer and singer for the band. I think it's a different guy though.
0: I don't know for and, sure. He never lasted very long with any one band, you yeah, know? Yeah. Like he would be the reason for the follow-up. Well.
1: Well, speaking of news and music um i don't know if you saw my post on facebook but bobby keys who's the legendary saxophonist for the rolling stones basically the fifth or sixth rolling stone if you will he he toured on he was on tour with the rolling stones for decades so he was one of the guys um you know basically they considered him one of their own although i'm sure he wasn't written into the to the lucrative contract sure but uh he died yesterday bobby keys yeah i didn't see that he's only 70 years old and all of the great well all of the saxophone parts that you hear in any of the stone songs um those are bobby keys
0: right yeah interesting bummer man rest in peace bobby keys yeah bobby keys so what do we got scott bass um catching up it's been two weeks since we've been together
1: yeah i mean we've got a lot of action on uh, the north shore of oahu and i guess we'll get to that in a minute i wanted to bring up a couple of things first of all there's been orcas aka killer whales sighted off of oceanside here just last week right off of you know less than a mile Mm. off of the beach so there were eight killer whales spotted eight yeah crazy and that was about eight days ago nine days ago that that happened These were Eastern Tropical Pacific Killer Whales, and these are relatively common off of Central America and mainland Mexico, and they have been documented here off the coast of Southern California as far north as Catalina Island. However, very few sightings have been documented over the past several decades, so to see them now is certainly um, a unique situation. NOAA has identified about 240 individual eastern tropical Pacific killer whales. And their presence here off of Southern California in the late fall speaks to the sort of crazy water temperatures that we had, as you know, this summer and into the fall. And even right now in December, the water temperature is 65 degrees here. So um, experts are attributing the warm water temperatures off of Southern California as to one of the reasons why these ETPs or Eastern Tropical Pacific orcas are in our waters my question to you David Scales is uh, would you rather be attacked by a great white shark or by an orca?
0: I'll take an orca
1: you'd rather be attacked by an orca?
0: Well yeah I mean there's always the possibility that you could Jonah your way out of it you know? (laughs) (laughs) That's
1: a lot of faith there.
0: It is, you know, that you can just go down hull and then like, you know, what are you going to do? When- <laughs> make a home down inside the belly okay. and then eventually find your way out. Yes. Um. But also, I don't want to get ripped to shred. You know, I just the 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 thought of getting attacked by a shark seems pretty violent. An orca, you feel like maybe you just get gulped down and it's all <laughs> it's all over. You know. Well, I
1: think you're uh, sadly misled. I think. Oh, really? I think that an orca, what an orca will do is it will kind of punt you around with its buddies up in the air, and play soccer with you for a little bit, and just have the complete terror screaming through your body for a solid minute, two minutes before they actually decide, hey, you know it's time to eat this guy and move on.
0: I've seen them do that with the seals. Yeah. Yeah, it looks pretty incredible. And there's
1: a group of them that are going to sort of hunt you, and they're so smart, much smarter than the great white shark. My feeling is the great white shark, a couple of things. You're not going to see it coming at you. I think an orca, you're going to see it coming.
0: So you're taking the shark.
1: I'm taking the shark because it's going to come. You're not going to see It's going to be bang. At least you're not going to know it hit you. Yeah. You also have the uh, the possibility, if we look at recent shark attacks or even shark attacks, you know, in the past 30 years or whatever. They sometimes bite into you and go, this isn't what I thought it was, and spit you out. And right. then you die because you bled out because your femoral artery bled out or whatever. Yeah. But they don't continue to munch on you. Right. Where I think an orca, when it attacks, it's like, dude, we're eating you. We've been watching you. We know who you are. We're going to play soccer with you. Then we're going to eat you. Yeah. So I think your, your chances of getting out of an attack are greater with a great white shark attack.
0: I don't know. There's no good way to go down. They both seem pretty violent. But I don't know. The orca, to me... Just seems like the lesser of two evils.
1: All right, well, <laughs> listener land, we want to know. Enjoy and if rest?
0: listeners can hear the dogs right Yes, now? we
1: just brought dogs into the studio.
0: That's not bassy panting, <laughs> thinking of his next counterpoint.
1: <laughs> no, it is not.
0: Chomping at the bit. No, it is not me. And that's not him lapping up water either.
1: <laughs> that's Duke and Maverick. Uh, speaking of Mavericks, the North Atlantic and... Um, well, the North Atlantic's really been firing, bring, sending tons of waves to Europe and to uh, Western Africa, uh, the Morocco region. Um, what's that dog doing? <laughs> he's trying
0: to get into my backpack. <laughs> I think I left some beef jerky in there. Oh, yeah,
1: he's all about that. So. Uh,
0: <laughs> Not really, but go ahead.
1: So um, there's been great waves in Europe, and I'm sure you've seen some of the stuff. Um, there's been purple blobs basically lining up. If you were to go onto one of the. One of the wave models, you would just literally see purple blob flow through the North Atlantic to Ireland and another one pop up and flow through to Ireland and another. It's literally lined up back to back to back purple blobs. And there's been some really big storms already, as I mentioned. Nazir has shown its face this season a couple of times. It's not Nazir. Now, how, do we say
0: how do we say it again? Um, Nazar or Nazare? You, or wait a minute! You no, don't know you how to me say. Off. it. Dude, I've heard it said like ten times, and I just laughed that when you forced me to call it Nazir a year ago. <laughs> and then, even though I've heard it ten times, now that you're calling it Nazir, throws me off again. <laughs> you don't Nazare. know Nazare. I think it's Nazare.
1: <laughs> Nazare. We're in California. We're gonna call it Nazir.
0: We're talking about the. <laughs> we're not. I'm not calling it okay. that. We're talking Nazare. about the big wave spot in Portugal. Right,
1: Nazare. It's kind of like Volare. Go Nazare. Has already shown its unruly self. And um, I imagine in the next couple of days, it's going to do so again. Um, there's been my musty moment. I'll just tell you now. I don't know if you saw it. There's a video out there called Three Waves in Landis, mm-hmm. which is beach break from France. And it's got Mickey Picone, Benjamin Sanchez, and Laurent Pujol. And it's just this insane, absolutely flawless, groomed, mean, meaty, deep, Fire hosing, just the most radical spitting um, beach break tubes that these guys get. They get three of them. It's on. I think I got it off a of stab mag, but it's 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 viral on Facebook and sure. everywhere. Three waves in Landis, and uh, you got to check that out. It's just it's really neat because. It's the kind of waves that, that I think your average surfer, such as you and I, could imagine ourselves getting towed into. It's not 30 foot. It's just six to eight foot. Right. But it's so mean and meaty and perfect. And, and, and the fire hose sensation, it's just a, it's mind-blowing how deep
0: and pitted and how, how raw it is. So Laurent is the photographer, right? I'm not sure. Um, he's normally the guy, he's the photographer who gets those follow-behind shots where he actually takes off on a wave behind the surfer with the water, holding the water housing and tries to get barreled behind him. And I've never seen him actually make a barrel, but he'll just get a few images behind the surfer. You got a cover shot of Bruce Irons uh, about yeah. a year ago. Yeah, I'm um,
1: familiar with the name too. Um, I'm trying to bring it up to show you just so you can get a handle on it. Yeah. But it's pretty it's pretty fascinating. And, and I'm like I said, I'm just going to go ahead and call it my must-see moment right now you got to check it out
0: while you're searching for it i'll give you my must see moment which is um dean morrison's entry into the wave of the year contest for 2015 have you seen that that ride yes it's at the right yes
1: i have seen yeah that's insane we we
0: talked about dean morrison recently and like kind of where had he gone for the last couple of years and i saw him surfing lowers a month or two ago and he was ripping like i could not believe how well the guy surfs but um, at any rate, he gets this wave of the year entry at or ride of the year entry at the right in Australia. And it's a massive slabbing mutant of a wave. There's so many opportunities for things that could have gone wrong in that wave. And he just surfs it absolutely perfectly. Yeah. Um, it's kind of the best expression of the right, the most perfect version, but still, you know, scary and mutant and all that. Yeah. And he does an incredible job surfing it so that's my must see moment we'll post the videos of course on our websites
1: well um, so with the North Atlantic really firing up um, you know and, and, and we've got Nazare showing itself again as, as we mentioned I guess my question to you is a couple things first I want to tell you that you know sadly in, in about 10 days or I guess 20 days December 23rd marks the 20 year anniversary of Mark Fu's death at Mavericks so my question to you is Will the next tragic death of a surfer take place at Nazare or
0: at Mavericks? Ooh. I don't even know that I want to speculate on that. That's a kind of gruesome subject. Well, but look, I...
1: here, here's the deal. People die surfing all the time. At, at least one a year, you, would, you could maybe, you know, yeah. without looking at the statistics. Who was the last surfer to die? Was it Scion?
0: No, Kurt uh, Passamore last year. Where?
1: Oh, Hawaii, That's right. Or yeah, the outer reefs. In yeah, Hawaii. alligators or marijuanas yeah, or something. Yeah. yeah. So, and and those are guys that you just hear about. There's guys that die. Oh yeah, from big waves. So it's going to happen. When I wrote the question, I was going, ah, this is kind of morbid, but it's going to happen." And so the question is, do you think it'll happen in, at Nazare or at Mavericks or is there another spot? Is Jaws on the list? Is Waimea Bay on the list?
0: I don't know. It seems like where it's happened. In the recent years, it's been where there isn't enough water safety patrol in the, you know, out. And I think that Mavericks, when there's a big swell at Mavericks, there's a ton of rescue teams in the lineup that are going to really, I don't know, not eliminate every variable, but certainly help with the cause. Whereas when Kirk Passamore died last year, you know, it's just open ocean without a lot of rescue um, in place. So I think maybe that's why that happened. And people saw it happening, but they were all on their surfboards. And I don't know that there was actually um, a rescue team in place that could have prevented his death, you know? So I think maybe that's where we will see it, where it's just a small group of guys, maybe paddle surfing somewhere without the jet skis on hand.
1: Well, of course, you know, and again, David and I don't want to see somebody die, but, um, you know, the interesting thing is, is that these guys live for this. You know, they, they live to kind of Put themselves out there in a place where they belong, but that is also extremely dangerous. And so, you know, as we've seen, you know, unfortunately, these guys push the limits and sometimes they push it too far. So um, you know, mavericks or uh Nazare.
0: Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome.
1: (laughs) You know, I just don't think there's enough guys that surf Nazare. Like the odds are against you. I mean, there's thirty-five guys at Mavericks every swell.
0: And Mavericks seems to break in a defined area too, whereas Nazare, it looks almost like it's more um, widespread playing field. I I
1: will say, and I'm not sure about this, but I want to say that they don't let a whole lot of jet skis out at Mavericks because of the, it's in that um, NOAA's um, Marine Sanctuary, the yeah. Monterey Bay Marine Sanctuary. So I don't think there's a lot of rescue teams there when the waves go off, and um, that's to be noted too. So you know, I, I would say that probably Mavericks, Mavericks has taken at least two guys' lives, maybe right. more. Right. Um, you know, interestingly, Chopu's taken a couple of guys' lives. And um, Pipeline. Pipeline's taken at least, I don't know the numbers, you know, but um, we know that um, uh, Malik died there. Um, there's been some other guys. Probably
0: half a dozen. And interestingly, um, uh, Parco got injured there yesterday. Did yes. you see that? Yeah, I did.
1: I, I happened to catch that when I was watching Which, the webcast.
0: Yeah, required him to withdraw from the Sunset Beach qualifying event. He's still in it for pipe, apparently, or so he says. He hasn't withdrawn from pipe. But, yeah, I mean, if it's injuring guys like that, you know, he's a pipe master. Yeah. So. Um, do you want to talk about lead? let that lead us into pipeline, or did you have something else before we go ASP talk?
1: Um, well, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, we, we spoke briefly, I think, about Quicksilver's common stock. Oh, yeah. And Quicksilver being in trouble. And a, a news article came out yesterday on the heels of another um, blistering analysis, which we spoke about I a couple weeks ago. I did
0: not see this. I am curious.
1: Well, it's basically a kind of a follow up, but it's another analyst who's, who's basically, I'm going to kind of give you the bullet points. It, the problems with Quicksilver are this that the, whole ch- the wholesale channel revenues are off 70% from last year, fiscal year. They've collapsed, which means, basically that means that Macy's isn't buying Quicksilver anymore. Quicksilver used to sell a ton of stuff through these massive Nordstrom, Macy's types. You know, and then they'd kind of, you know, kiss ass to the specialty retailer like Jax and give them some stuff, but the majority of business is being done through these massive wholesalers, and that's down 70%. The main reason being that the Quicksilver's main consumers Uh, teenagers they flock to cheaper trendier off-mall fast fashion offerings so the the teenagers are basically seeing behind the curtain more or less and they're going to you know rucas and brixton or whatever Um, chronic over leverage has limited quicksilver's marketing and sponsorship spend so um, they're basically they're in debt massively in debt. The first thing they're trimming is their marketing. they got, you know, quick, uh, Kelly Slater is gone. Others are gone. Um,
0: the vast majority of the team.
1: Yeah. Then on the heels of that, they've done this global restructuring, which has caused the execution of um, of wholesale marketing and wholesale brand revenue. Uh, it's basically, basically what they're saying is the global restructuring has caused problems with implementing some of their... Um, some of the things that they were going to implement to, to change all of this. Right. So they basically, you know, they wiped out mid-level managers, blah, blah, blah. And, and that's compounded some of the problems. And um, they don't see the financial performance, sales way down and only getting worse. Uh, they go on to say that fourth quarter 2014 through all of 2015 is not going to meaningfully improve and that this spells the end for the listed ZQK equity stub value, which means their stock is done. Hmm. Um, on the heels of this news, and again, we want to, David and I want to reiterate that we don't want to see Quicksilver fold. We love Quicksilver. We're giving you the news here. This, these are facts. Um, however, it is just an, an analyst looking at it, but these people get paid to tell you to buy it or short it or whatever. And so uh, it's in their interest to just see it objectively, not subjectively. And objectively, it doesn't look good for Quicksilver. So on the heels of this, yesterday or the day before was the 30th, the opening for the 30th annual in memory, uh, Quicksilver in memory of Eddie Icao. Right. My question to you is, given the bleak news for Quicksilver, is this the last time we're going to see the Quicksilver in memory of Eddie Icao?
0: It's a great question. I wouldn't, I don't think it would be the last time that we see the event. It might be the last time it's sponsored by Quicksilver. You know, that could definitely be argued. But I'd be amazed if um, it went away completely. And even if it didn't have sponsorship, I would think that a group of guys would get together and just make it happen. You know, Kelly Slater or somebody would would, uh, fund it, if nothing else. What do, well, what do you
1: think? I, I think for sure, I, I, my gut feeling is is that if things go bad, um, the Quicksilver iteration of this event is done. Yeah. Because it's the 30th, it's a perfect time for them to kind of put a spin on it. Like it's been a thir- great 30 years. Um, you know, time has come. All good things come to an end. You know, if it was like, you know, the 23rd year, it's not right. quite as easy to put that spin on it. But we've exactly. done, you know, three decades of this. You know, let's move on and right. and kind of spin it that way without having to say, "Hey, things are horrible." Right. You know exactly. what I mean. Now I do agree that perhaps there will be some other way to pay homage to Eddie Aikau, and I'm sure there will be. Um Whether it's an event at Waimea Bay or something to do with, you know, Polynesian sailing or whatever, who knows? You know, I'm sure everyone wants Eddie's. Um, you know his legacy to live on and it will but uh, i think this event's done and and i hope not Uh, and we don't have anything that's this is just you and i speculating pure radio fodder here but um it doesn't look good for quicksilver and i don't know how much this event cost them to pull off it might be a thing where it's like not a big hit on their marketing line anyway so they're like let's just keep that thing going it's the last thing we have that's core right if we're going to speak to our core audience this is all we got this and like mickey picom <laughs> oh man. Why you got to be pick on no, Mickey? Like I, the that? guy serves great. I'm just saying, no, you know, he's, he's a non-factor in the, in the big picture.
0: Um, So I think that if they're going to run the sponsor, the gold coast event, there's a tremendous amount of expense involved with a CT event with this sort of a thing. I don't think there's a lot of expense. It's mainly just a vehicle, a marketing vehicle for them. I think it has a lot of value to the brand for them to sponsor it. So If they weren't able to afford it in the future, I think that another brand would easily step up and see all the value involved in it. You know, or I mean, it's kind of synonymous with Quicksilver, so there would be that. Yeah, they... The they'd,
1: Right. Well, well the, the thing is, if they sold it off, they would continue to get all of the 30 years of history play yeah, forever, right? right? Like if Quicksilver went private, their stock pummeled, but they still existed and they're licensing soap to whatever and doing whatever, however they make their money, they still have this core event that they're tied to. If they sell it to whoever, Ruka or whatever, you know, whoever, I don't know who, if they sell it to Target yeah, even, you know, maybe they sell it to Macy's. Who knows?
0: I think it'd have to be a non... Uh, clothing company probably.
1: And so what you're saying is they still get to kind of hang out on the coattails of the event based on all that. And then, you know, sort of expanding on what we were just talking about, as I sit here as an event producer myself, I think about costs involved in this. And if they don't actually run the event, it's just the opening ceremonies, you know, travel and expense for the opening ceremony. It's very minimal. I bet it's 15 to $20,000 just yeah. to do and to take care of everybody. They got to pay off everybody and make sure everybody gets their, you know,
0: but they also sell a lot of collateral material because of that event. They have t-shirts and all yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah, you're right. So they probably recoup that little expense without running the actual webcast every year. That's involved yeah. with it because the event rarely runs. Yeah. That's a lot of expense saved, you know? Yeah. So interesting though. I mean the Quicksilver stuff, it, You're saying, you know, there's analysts that are professionals who are giving us these numbers objectively, and that's all very true. However, and that has a lot of validity, but I think your, in my opinion, has just as much validity, and we don't have the nuts and bolts numbers. I mean, we do now that they provided them for us, but, like, you and I have a gauge on the marketplace and what is hip and what's cool and what your kids are buying and what you and I are willing to buy, and... I think that has just as much, I don't know, um, influence and moves the needle just as much in the marketplace as the actual numbers do and whether Macy's is buying or not. You know what I mean? I do. Sorry. I was
1: having some dog issues. What are you laughing about? My dogs are taking over the show. It's all good. Um, if you pet them, they're going to hang around forever.
0: I know. But okay. if I stop, they hound me.
1: He's just completely slobbering all over your black shirt. It's got so much dog hair on it. Sorry, bud. Whatever. Gary likes dogs. Um, Well, we'll see what happens there, right? They did have the opening ceremonies, and um, we'll see what goes on there. The second annual Legend Surf Classic in Puerto Rico, my friend Bill Rosenblatt, who I told you, sent me an email saying, you guys talk too much about the ASP World Tour. There's more to surfing than contests and blah, blah, blah. So he... So then he sends me a link to a contest that he that he wants me to talk about. The second <laughs> but it's annual not an ASP contest, right, right. It's the second annual Legend Surf Classic in Puerto Rico. It's taking place the 16th through the 19th of January in Rincón, Puerto Rico. And this year's event proudly features two of surfing's greatest champions. Who would that be, David?
0: Uh, two of surfing's, two surfing's greatest surfing's champions. champions. I'm going to go Kelly Slater and Stephanie Gilmore.
1: <laughs> no, no, no uh fred hemmings the winner of the 68 world championships which is held right there in puerto rico and australia's nat young a finalist in that same event so that's all going down in puerto rico in 2015 have you ever been to puerto rico David? no i haven't it's a great place you got to get there i've been there and uh, it's beautiful and i'm a big fan um
0: yeah no i definitely would love to go i love that obviously the proximity for us is great and they speak English, they take the U.S. dollar, so all that's great. It's warm, get to surf in trunks, right?
1: Yeah, it's a killer place. You got to check it out.
0: Yeah, I will. Um, speaking of ASP talk. <laughs> yeah, here we go. Shall it's, we?
1: Bill, you can turn off your radio now. <laughs> no. Yeah, let's. well, let's get into it. Look, fact of the matter is, um, there's a lot going on.
0: I've been chomping at the bit, waiting to get into ASP talk, dude. I've gotten a number of emails, actually, of people asking about the Pipe Masters. They want to hear more Pipe Masters talk. I think it is the culmination of the year, and and Hawaii is just the culmination of everything that is surfing. And yes, it culminates in a contest at the famed reef at Pipeline, and so it's well worth discussing. I think, personally, it's well worth devoting an entire show to, but... Um, You know, if Bill and other people don't want to hear that. Well, let me ask you this to download it.
1: When is the trials?
0: Uh, I've been wondering that. No, because the
1: event starts on the 8th and the trials five days from today. The
0: trials is part of the event. Oh, oh, okay, Interesting. The first contestable day of the event waiting period is the day that they run the trials event. Okay, Uh, so it starts December 8th. It is arguably the most exciting, closest three way race that I remember in some time. So for that reason alone, it's worth paying attention to. I'm going to break down the title scenarios, the title race scenarios, real quickly for those who don't remember. You want to hear them, Scott?
1: V- very quickly, and only the ones that matter. The why? reason I say that is because I think we're going to see all this during the webcast. Like, we're going to get all this information. Well, then
0: why are we even doing a podcast? <laughs> no, go
1: for it. J- break them down. We're going to see by it the during way, the
0: webcast, but this is a preview show to the webcast. By Let's the way, we talk about it.
1: I want to say this. Yeah. I sent Jeff donor who produces the webcast, and a text saying, hey, man, I'd love to see some graphics, Um, basically breaking down, like what we talked about in the last show, breaking down the qualification of what's happening. And he said that they don't have enough money. But I'm just, did you watch the webcast yesterday and did you see him talking about the qualifying? Yeah. It just bums me out that they can't pay a guy to create graphics for that stuff. Yeah. Because I think it's way more powerful in a graphic form and it doesn't take that much but apparently the asp is hurting for duh
0: well i have this whole article to discuss about them being 30 million dollars in the hole this year wow now now we're breaking news did you read that this
1: is way more interesting than
0: well do you want to start with that yeah let's start with that then um so jake howard wrote an article that ran on stabmag.com and uh Basically the title was the WSL, meaning that's the new title for the ASP in two thousand and fifteen. The WSL World World Surf League, Surfing League is thirty million dollars in the hole. That's the title. As when, if it's When a did fact. that come out? A week ago. Wow. I talked to Jake yesterday yeah. about uh, interviewing him, to have him on the podcast and he said, dude He's catching too much flag, Yeah, I'm gonna let this thing blow over first. I appreciate the offer. Yeah, but I'll pass. Yeah. So I'll give you the the quick bullet points. Um, cost $45 million to run the ASP for a year. That's the operating expenses. That goes to wages, logistics, tech, and the rest.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They were working on a deal with Red Bull that was going to basically give Red Bull um, uh, webcast rights and sponsorship for every event and all that sort of thing, similar to what the Samsung deal ended up being but they were working on this deal with Red Bull. Specifically, uh Liam Ferguson was the one who was brokering that deal. And the deal was reportedly for about 25 not reportedly actually. This is all inside sources, was for about $25 million, which would go a long way towards their $45 million operating expense. Well, Red Bull got wind before the deal was done that Liam was also talking to Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and some other sponsors trying to have backup offers on the table or maybe offers that he could leverage against Red Bull. And when Red Bull heard about that, they withdrew the offer. They said, F you. They, exactly, they were not and happy This explains with
1: why Liam doesn't work at the ISP well, anymore.
0: Yeah, he's sensed departed and has taken up residence as the new general director for the ISA. Right. So, based on conversations with people both inside and outside Red Bull headquarters, according to Jake, um, that deal was taken away and and they, the ASP was still able to secure a deal with ABC, the television network, which was kind of phase two. Like, let's get this TV deal and then we can uh, sell additional sponsorship to other non-conflicting brands with Red Bull and cover that extra $20 million expense. Well, without Red Bull kind of stepping up front, they still had the ABC deal, and they tried to shop it to sponsors. They secured the Samsung deal, which is reported uh, to be worth about $3 million. Then came a deal with uh, GoPro, estimated to be in the neighborhood of $1 million. And most re- recently, Monster Energy Drinks signed on for another estimated $1 million. That's so, nothing. So that, that covers $5 million worth of expenses. Jake, none of this stuff is substantiated. Jake doesn't cite any of his sources. So it's all speculation. But he says it's come from multiple sources that don't necessarily have the purse strings to the ASP, but they're in the know and they're working on these deals. Yeah.
1: And I've heard similar stuff. Yeah. That information has been floating around. The industry
0: is all small enough to where you kind of know what's valid and what isn't. Exactly. So estimates are that... Um, the other brands like Quicksilver, Billabong, Rip Curls, who sponsored events throughout the year, have contributed about $10 million towards the bottom line throughout this year by sponsoring events. Uh-huh. So, so
1: licensing events is about $10 million.
0: Exactly. So we've got $5 million coming in from the sponsors I named, plus $10 million coming in from these additional sponsors, leaves them with about a $30 million operating loss for this year, right. which is substantial. So Dave Prodent says that Dave wasn't responding to this article. This was just things that he said throughout the year was basically that the ASP has experienced positive growth. And the original plan was to seek audience growth and social platform expansion, which they've succeeded in. You know, they're happy yeah, with the this, numbers of this the could, audience. Yeah, they're getting.
1: I could see this being spun by them. And, and I think it's a valid, uh, not argument, but a, you could definitely, it's a it's response. A, yeah. It's a valid spin. I guess you could say, yeah. Um, that they're right on, they're they're, you know, moving right along as planned. Right. They've done a lot of great things. They've created a great broadcast. Everyone's happy with it. They got I believe they've got enough you know, they're getting more eyeballs. Those numbers are probably growing. And yeah, we took a loss, but we're a loss leader and we planned on taking a loss. And this is a five year deal anyway, so talk to me at year five. Okay.
0: totally free that's linkedinjobs.com surf to post your job for free terms and conditions apply understandable however how long will your inf- investors foot the bill at thirty million dollar a year loss. If those well, investors thought it was going to be a ten million dollar a year loss, and they're willing to do it for five years, but if it's a thirty mil loss for two years, yeah, they I don't might know. Not, I don't know. know. That's
1: that's you know that's where the you want to be the fly in the wall in the secret meeting in Florida where they yeah. where they all live or whatever. Yeah, but Dirk Ziff is the guy. Yeah, his exactly. wife. Yeah, uh, his wife's a big. I think she has a lot of clout in the discussions.
0: Yeah, it was her her objective was basically to prop up women surfing. Yeah. And she was willing to buy the ASP in part of that, you know? Yeah, yeah. To get women surfing with it. So the question is just like, look, how if these numbers are true, which it's not confirmed, but it's speculation, if they're true, how long will the Ziffs foot the bill for the ASP?
1: Thirty million dollars isn't a whole lot of money, I don't think, for the Ziffs. I gotta think that they're like multi- I think million. What kind of, what kind of, what's their net worth? Does anyone know? I don't know. I want to say they're billionaires.
0: I'll tell you what, $30 million matters to a billionaire as much as it does to anybody else. And that's how they became a billionaire.
1: I'm not doubting. I'm not here to argue that. I agree with you. Like 30 million is a lot of money. I'm just saying like, it's different if it's like we were planning on making money the first year and we're 30 million in the hole versus Well, we we're expected to lose some money the first couple three years, maybe not this much, but let's just keep on going because, you know, this is the dice that I rolled.
0: Yeah, but Nike rolled that dice and then pulled out entirely. You know what I mean? And spent probably more than thirty million dollars. Those are
1: two. It's kind of apples and oranges, Nike and. I mean, kind of. Look, I I agree. It's a lot of money. I'm not I'm not arguing. Uh, I guess the bigger question is one. Do you think it's going to be successful in three or three to five years? Do you think they're going to break even or start making money?
0: Yeah, I I think that there's potential to make money off of it.
1: Based on what?
0: Based on the amount of eyeballs watching, you know, and it's the ASP's job to be able to monetize that. What's shocking is if you're working on a $25 million deal with Red Bull and that gets pulled away and then, you work. You do a deal with Monster for one million dollars. No, that's that's the I scary part. Think, I almost think it's better to just shine Monster's million bucks and be like, "Look, man, Those, this almost devalues up us know, if we accept that."
1: It feels like band aids, doesn't it? it? Feels like, "Oh shit, we lost the Red Bull deal. Take whatever you can get." Right. Let's try to scrounge thirty million together, and, it, and they scrounged five million.
0: Yeah, but it makes it, it makes, uh, Red Bull look foolish forever considering spending 25 million dollars and i know they probably had a lot more involved in that deal i think monsters deal is just like they get their banner on the podium you know or something so it's not media rights which is a whole different deal but even still it feels like i don't know they've 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 lost it yeah like it's going to be hard to get those that kind of revenue
1: back based on exactly this is all speculation though because this is just all like water cooler fodder we don't really know any of this stuff i mean it's it is it'll never
0: really be substantiated
1: yeah we can never look at their books
0: no but let's keep in mind that prior to the 2014 season the asp came out playing hardball by controlling all the media rights and distributions because their goal was to establish themselves as a media brand yeah and so all the companies that had supported the asp for 30 years like quicksilver and billabong (laughs) and had paid for all these events, were being told it's still gonna cost you the same amount to sponsor an event, but we're not giving you any of the media rights. All you're doing is putting your banners up basically for this event. And so those those brands pulled out, a lot of them pulled out and said, look, we're not gonna pay you the same amount of money for half the value or a yeah. third of the value. Yeah. So the ASP But that's basically- understandable
1: though. I mean, if you're gonna set up that paradigm that they did you're going to initially there's going to be some shock like those guys are going to you know like the asp expected that i mean that's kind of like look it's like look we got to hit the reset button we know it sucks and it seems like we're going to lose you're going to lose value here but in five years you might be buying in it more and wishing you would have stayed around
0: yeah yeah I mean, yes, you're right. That is what their approach was. But now they're left holding the bag because Red Bull went away. And now, but my question
1: to you was, do you think in three to five years, they're going to be successful and break even or be, be, be profitable. And you said, yes, you think it is. So my next question to you is God forbid the opposite happens, right? Which is what we're seeing with some, well, like with Quicksilver. So what happens to the ASP if in five years, it's a, big loss. They don't want to foot the bill anymore and they're like what do we do? We own Double XL, we own the Big Wave World tour, we own the AS, you know, the WCT and all that. We own all the rights to all of this stuff. I think they gained the rights to that, you know, to all the history of like all the legacy, like NFL films if you will. I believe and I don't know this for for to be fact, but so they got a lot of stuff to sort of sell off, you know, to just sort of right liquidate, you know, like at a garage sale. Like look, I'll buy double XL back for this and surf line will buy yeah. the big wave world tour. And, you know, like how ugly is that whole div- So scary. Yeah. That divesture year is just, it's, it's going to be yeah. interesting.
0: Basically what would need to happen is in this next year, if they don't monetize it appropriately and the Ziffs go, well, for 2016, we're not interested anymore. Here you guys have the keys back. Then the powers that be at the ASP go, look, it costs, you know, ten million dollars to take this event to the Gold Coast in February and we don't have ten million dollars and investors aren't lining up, so how do we get there? Who's willing to, well, here's who's the deal willing though, to support this? that there?
1: the ASP is owned by Zosi, which is the Ziff speaker and like four or five other people, right? Yeah. So Zosie's the one that goes, take the keys back. Well they can't they're not gonna do that. That's stupid. That's like giving me No,
0: because they didn't pay anything for the keys in the first place.
1: Well right, but are, yeah. are, okay, so you're saying that that would be a good deed gesture then on their part. Basically, go look, we tried, we failed, we're not going to sell it back to you because that would be lame because we don't really want, we, we appreciate you guys, we love you, blah, blah, blah. We don't want to blow up the whole thing. Here are the keys back, we're backing out. Good luck. I hope pro surfing takes off. We gave it a good shot, but it's not going to. Right. Okay, I see what you're saying there. So then you're going, look, they go back to QuickServer and they go, remember us? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> remember me, the one that shut you out about right. two years ago? Well, we need you back. Right. Well, and no. Quicksilver
0: now doesn't have the money to do it either. No, really. you we're know just using mean?
1: we're just using Quicksilver. Right, as a but I mean that's generic. It's
0: ominous, but I mean that's a practical right. business scenario that could take place. Right. So scary times, man.
1: Well, we don't. I mean, it's not really scary for me or you. I mean, scary is Syria. You know, we're talking about professional surfing, although a lot of people's jobs and stuff are at stake and we all want to see it there, succeed. And I, I'm optimistic. I have based on my user experience, I have no reason to not be optimistic. Like what they're putting out there is good. I'm, I'm enthralled by it. I watch it. I, I get into it. You know,
0: did you go buy a Samsung phone this year?
1: No, but I might buy a Samsung phone, not based on on anything that they told me over the webcast via their marketing. But I just think I've, I see a lot of people with Samsungs and they seem to be really good phones. Hmm. So, I mean, I don't think Samsung needed this to get me uh, to bite their hook. Interesting. Yeah. But hmm. um, I think Samsung has a pretty good reputation.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Well, let's get into pipeline um, let me give you the the world title scenarios going into the event real quickly basically gabriel medina's in the title or in the driver's seat if he finishes second or better he clinches the title period so if he makes the final he wins the title right if he finishes third fanning needs to win the event in order to win the title slater's out of contention at that point if medina finishes fifth fanning still needs to win the event slater still out of contention if medina finishes ninth fanning needs to finish second or better and if medina finishes 13th or 25th fanning needs to finish third and kelly needs to win the event so if fanning or if medina gets past 13th spot kelly's out of contention period
1: here's my question to you medina is surfing in the vans world cup of surfing at sunset beach i think he has a heat today is that a smart move
0: no I would say not.
1: That is a stupid-ass move. Yeah. I mean, his whole world title could be shot with one lip to the knee at Sunset Beach. Well,
0: there's nothing good that would come of the Sunset Beach event. Nothing good. There's I mean, no Triple a, a, Crown. He doesn't need the prize money. He doesn't the need make the prize millions money. millions of dollars a year.
1: It's. I don't know why he's doing that event, but it's stupid. Yeah. It's
0: ridiculous. Yeah. I agree. I, I, I mean,
1: who are his handlers? Who's I, the idiot that said you have to do this? Yeah, I don't know. Is it somebody at Rip Curl? No, they don't have that kind of power over him. And right. why would Rip Curl give a shit?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I it's, can't
1: believe that he's in this event.
0: I didn't know that he was actually. Well,
1: maybe I'm wrong. I thought yeah, I double saw check. That. I thought I saw a press release that said that he he's surfing in
0: this thing. Double check it. Um, so did you see the New York Times? The New York Times actually wrote an article on him. Did you see that article? I
1: didn't, but I did hear about it. I I, I didn't read it.
0: I mean, this is all kind of to the ASP conversation. This is all great publicity. The fact that the New York Times even cares who's running or, you know, who's going for a world title in the world of surfing is pretty amazing. And the story is really that he could be um, the first Brazilian to ever win a world title, you know. And so that's what is monumental and historic.
1: Here it is right here, David. His, it says Gabe Medina's uphill battle will really intensify. Or, no, Dusty Payne, excuse me, Dusty Payne is trying to qualify. Yeah. It will intensify tomorrow, which is today, when he faces world number one Gabe Medina, Dane Godowskis and Connor O'Leary.
0: Oh, wow. That is shocking. That, All was, right.
1: that blows my mind. Hey, check
0: this out. In this article, the New York Times wrote, yeah. they said uh, they interviewed Matt Warshaw. His, Surf historian Matt Warshaw, encyclopedia of surfing.com is his website. But he said that many argue that Brazilians have always been at a competitive disadvantage trying to assimilate in an English speaking professional surfing league. He said um, there's fuel there because of small and not so small injustices that Brazilians have had to deal with for the past 30 or something years. There's a notion of Let's go out there and correct this. Let's make this right. And Medina is sort of a manifestation of something that is much bigger and much more powerful. And I thought that was a really interesting point. This kind of Brazilian being biased, Brazilian, Brazilian bias, bias. and yeah. being held down for 30 years has all culminated into I this young this. guy, totally Gabriel Medina, who encompasses all of that angst and rage and he's yeah. Doing, you know, massive yeah. aerials on his way to the podium. Yeah. He's basically to-
1: saying you have to give it to me. Yeah. That's how good I am. Because he's got Who this wrote country this article? behind
0: him. Uh I don't know actually. New York Times New York Times. Good, that's all-
1: a really great point. But that's, that was that was Warshaw's summarized- quote. Oh, that was Warshaw. Okay, Warshaw's yeah. quote. Warshaw nailed it. That's really what it is, isn't it? Is it, it and and which makes me even want to root more against but I'll tell you this, to go back to what we were saying about the health of the ASP. The greatest thing that could ever happen to the ASP is Gabe Medina winning a world title. Yeah. Because I think there's a lot of revenue out there beyond North America, beyond English speaking countries and continents that, that will be, you know, will help to uh, raise some money for the ASP.
0: Yeah. Well, Renato Hickel chimed in on this article too. And he said, Medina's worst enemy is himself. And Renato Hickel being the, like world...
1: serving in the world cup at sunset beach. Yeah, today?
0: exactly. That's a good point. Renato Hickel is by the way, the, um, World Championship Tour manager and a former head judge on the tour. And he says, quote, it's his nerves. If he manages to concentrate and manage to calm his nerves, he's in control, unquote. So I think that's interesting, too, because we saw the main chink in Gabriel's armor at Portugal where he could have closed sewn up the world title there and he lost in a round three heat to brett simpson and what we've seen is that he buckles under pressure basically like he's amazing aerialist he's an amazing surfer he's actually proven himself in big barrels on his forehand and the one thing that we've seen though is that he cries when he loses a heat to julian wilson last year at portugal or the year before you know he kind of breaks down well here's let me just chime in there
1: because um First of all, the only time he's really had pressure to win the world title was in Portugal. So we've only really had one sort of um, example to pull from, right?
0: Well, pressure to win the world title, yes. But yeah. we've seen him under pressure. In right, other and scenarios. I
1: agree. I agree with all that. And I don't mind him crying. I, I'm okay with him being emotional and caring about it. However, it manifests itself if it's tears or if it's anger, if he throws his board or whatever. That's fine. It means he's into it. But we've only really got one example where he's been under true pressure to win the world title, and he crumpled. So um, it'll be interesting to see where we go here. But but I just wanted to make the point that we've only had one opportunity to see him under pressure. He failed. How old is he, 18, 21?
0: I hate to I say that I don't know, but yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'd say he's over 18 now, but he's, let's say, 19 to 21 for sure.
1: But you are correct in that all of his – all of his success up to now has been pressure-free. It's been, hey, I'm 18 years old. I'm good-looking Brazilian kid. I'm making tons of money. Let's go shred. Yeah. Who gives a crap? And now, the, for the very first time, it's like, hey, guess what? You could win the world title at this event.
0: And, and he failed. The world title, uh, waving the flag of a country who has been, yeah, quote-unquote, oppressed for yeah, 30 yeah, the years. the weight of the oppression the of Brazil. Yeah, so you got all these people behind you holding you up just being like, don't effing blow it.
1: And you've got a bunch of white Anglo-Saxons that are just pointing at him going, you're going to lose. And you're in
0: Hawaii <laughs> at the most death-defying oh, yeah. spot with all the locals pressuring you for, like, it's a it's a really interesting uh, psych- psychological scenario, yeah, you know? It is. I don't,
1: it'd be interesting. I think we'd be surprised. I think there's just as many Hawaiians that are pro-Brazil as there are, um, you know, against Brazil or. You know what I mean? Like I think I, I think Hawaiians are more anti-Californian than they are anti anti Hawaii. I, I, I mean anti Brazil. And I, I'm just I I'm just wanna, speculating. I don't, I I don't, don't have anything speak. to
0: draw on except for my gut on this. Well, that's fine. But I don't even want to speak to Hawaiians as a whole. I just really am talking about the locals who are contending for waves in the lineup, oh, riding right. sick seven foot sixes like Kalani Chapman out there. right, Like he's not going to give way to Gabriel Medina. And in fact, he'll burn Gabriel Medina. And I'm talking about a free surf session, you know?
1: Well, free surf, but even in competition, Kalani's the one guy who's proven he can go out there and take down guys. Like Kalani gives it to Slater. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Like he's the one guy where I go, you know what? He's the one pipe specialist that I wouldn't want to draw in my heat.
0: Yeah. I saw an image of Gavin Beshin burning Gabriel Medina the other day. I think it was yesterday, you know? So it's like, So Gabriel's got all these things going on and he's going out there to warm up for the event. Nobody's going to give way to him. No, you know no. what I mean? I mean, yeah. he's got to put in 20 years before they start or 10 years before yeah. they start giving up waves to Gabriel. So that's intimidating when yeah. you're 20 years old. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's super intimidating.
1: He's got a lot on him. I hope that the broadcast does as good a job as, you, as you've as you just done, as Matt Warshaw has done, as this New York Times article has done, to excavate this and put this into the limelight, put this pressure-filled moment, really excavate all the... Points of pressure that you just did and and bring this out so that the viewers get a a taste of what we're talking about.
0: Um, Another thing that's worth pointing out is Mick Fanning's in the second place position and could win a world title this year. And he did the uh, Holly Eva event, lost in an early round, and decided to go back home to Australia to rest up for a couple of weeks before coming back to Hawaii. So he got his. Hawaiian quiver dialed early in the season and then just goes, you know what? None of the pressure is really on me. I'm going to bail for a little bit and just rest up. And I think that is a good strategy.
1: That's an interesting strategy for sure. And I kind of like it because, you know, it's been thought out. You know, he was like, here's what I'm going to do.
0: Well, he's done it before. You know, he's won three world titles. And I don't know if you remember, but when he's won in the past, it's a similar scenario where he came from behind and he did poorly in the beginning of the season. Under the started radar. Started doing well in Europe. And yeah, under the radar, all the attention's on Kelly. And Kelly's got to perform. And Mix yeah. just like sneaks in, yeah. you know? And I think that's his strong suit.
1: Yeah, yeah. Interesting. I wonder what the odds... I know Australia allows you to bet on surfing. And I wonder what the odds are. Yeah. Um, well, you we should check into that.
0: I'm not sure. Well, they posted the round one heat draw for the event. And I think that is also super interesting because... Because Gabriel Medina and Mick Fanning are in the number one and number two spot, they're going to draw wild cards, which I think is more dangerous at Pipeline than it is anywhere else in the world. And Kelly Slater, on the other hand, draws Matt Wilkinson and Mitch Colburn. So Colburn's coming in as an alternate, and Wilco's in against Kelly because he's a low seed. Colburn's actually beat Kelly Slater in Fiji two years ago, where it was big barreling lefts in round one, Kelly came back to, you know, um, beat Mitch in round three, I think of that event. And Matt Wilkinson's beat Kelly as well. Uh, most recently this year at J Bay, where he put together like a combination of like 19 points or something in that heat. So both Colburn and Wilkinson have beaten Kelly in the past. I think Kelly's by far the, uh, favored surfer at pipeline, but they have beaten him, you know, but I think, Arguably, Kelly Slater still has the easier draw than Gabriel Medina does with Eretz Aramburu and an undetermined wild card. And then Mick Fanning's got Adam Melling and an undetermined wild card.
1: Yeah, well, you're right. The wild cards, um, certainly something to consider a pipeline. All of those major spots, it seems like the wild cards are scary, like Chopu, J-Bay, a little bit, yeah, you're up against it.
0: Well, especially Not to
1: take anything away from a Ritz. No, um, but, but
0: especially if the waves are pumping. Like if pipeline is big and unruly, the wild cards absolutely know the difference in five feet to the left or right on that reef. You know, and they can pick off those uh the ones that turn into gems basically in, in the chaos of the lineup. And Kelly can too. That's the crazy thing is Kelly's been surfing it for thirty years now, you know, or maybe twenty five years.
1: Interestingly, uh, Gabe Medina is his odds are fourteen to one to win the Pipe Masters event. To win the Pipe Masters, who's the favored surfer? The favored surfer is John John. He's three and a half to one. Kelly's almost four to one, which would be uh, let's see, Mick Fanning's five to one. Parco eight to one. Then Gabe.
0: See, I. That's to win Pipe. I, I, I can't envision a scenario where Gabriel wins Pipeline. I could see him making making it through maybe the quarters and winning the world title, but I could not see Gabriel winning Pipeline. That is such a far, you know, I don't know. 14 to 1, I guess. That is reasonable.
1: Yeah. Sorry, I'm just reading these no, odds. Right. To win the world title, Gabe Medina's minus 270. I don't know what that means. I'm not a, I'm not a gambler. He's minus 220. That
0: means he's the favored surfer, though, for sure. Oh, for
1: sure, yeah. Mix plus 220. And Kelly's plus nine seventy nine. I don't know if that means if you bet a hundred bucks you win two twenty, or you got to bet a hundred and seventy. I don't know how that works, but yeah, of course, Gabe's the favorite. Um, um, Mix second, and then Kelly's pretty far. He's third, but he's he's a long shot for so sure. So
0: I talked about Gabriel and Mix kind of headspace going into this event. Kelly Slater, he's got nothing to lose really, because if Gabriel makes anything beyond 13th place. Kelly's out of contention for the title, which I think is a great position for Kelly to be in with nothing to lose, no pressure. He had that injury at, um, at cloud break where he broke some toes a few, maybe a month ago. So he should be well rested and recovered from that in time for pipeline. He hasn't messed around with sunset this year, which he did surf last year. So I think he's going to go into this just with the goal of winning the event. Who cares if Gabriel makes the quarters and ends up winning the world title, Kelly's in it to win the event specifically. And I think he might.
1: Yeah. I, I think that's a good analysis. And I, and I agree with you that it's almost better that he's sort of a long shot to win the world title than if he was like number yeah, two, exactly. where like he was feeling that pressure and he's like, oh, I got to not only win the event, but I got to make sure. And all that stuff's going on in his head space. It's it, as you said, uh, quite eloquently. It's it's better that he's sort of this this real long shot.
0: Um, the forecast has not yet been posted, but I've got a couple scenarios that I think are worth noting. Sure. It, like I said, if it's big, unruly pipe, the wild cards have the advantage, and I think that heavily jeopardizes Mick and Gabriel, but Kelly still stands a chance in the in that scenario. If it's classic pipeline, I think that's where Gabriel has his best chance. You know, like eight-foot, perfect, left barrels that's where gabriel's gonna shine
1: what i'm just looking at the the models the the wave prediction models and this is december 8th what we're looking at here is monday the first day of the waiting period there's a massive purple blob that just that just kind of popped up and it's going to send a really killer shot of west swell west northwest swell to pipe on looks like wednesday the 10th okay so it's going to be solid for the opening rounds there i guess that's the trials
0: Yeah, the trials will run on the first contestable day of the week. So that's going to
1: be right there um, about a week from today.
0: And then if it turns into a backdoor shootout, I think that's a scenario that Gabriel is unproven in. We've never really seen him surf big right-hand barrels before. And so that's something where he could go down early in the event and Kelly has a huge advantage at backdoor. And Mick Fanning actually surfs backdoor and off the wall. Uh, Yesterday he was out there and they said he was – the highlight, you know, the, the best surfer out there.
1: Yeah, the 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 regular foots have, well, the, the prime regular foots, Mick, Parco, Kelly, Julian, or John, uh, J, John, John John, those guys have way more advantage of pipe than the goofy foots, even the best goofy foots. There are some goofies that are notoriously good at the right, at the back door. Yeah. Guys like Corey Lopez come to mind. Kalani Chapman, surprisingly, for kind of a squatty yeah. guy, he's actually really good on that right. Um, I've seen the i the I've seen
0: Mark Healy get a bunch.
1: Yeah, but 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 it's difficult. It's not oh, as yeah. it's not as easy being a goofy foot, and so you just you just pray for the super steep West Well, so there's no rights at all.
0: Well, that's what I'm hoping for in the early rounds. So but that again, Gabriel it, 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 gets bounced out. It doesn't early. hurt
1: the regular foot if it's only left It just helps the goofy foot.
0: Right. I'm hoping for a big unruly surf and the wild cards do well and bounce out Gabriel early or back. Down. What?
1: You want Gabriel to go out early? Yeah. Are you kidding? This is news to me. I thought you were all pro. Oh, 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 Gabriel. You wanted Gabriel to win the world title and shit.
0: Oh, that's true.
1: Oh my God. Okay, so
0: there's two parts of my brain at at (laughs) at odds right now. One of them, dude. The
1: American. Should we just sing the national anthem right now? Oh, say to sway me over. You see. You want to
0: jeopardize yourself and get the lyrics wrong? No, I'm just saying. I'm so
1: proud of you. I'm seeing the the American flag and the blue in your eyes. It's wavering.
0: Well, my, th- my heart wants Kelly. You know what I mean? But What else kinda, is there? But what, my, are you betting on somebody? My prag- no, my pragmatism <laughs> recognizes that Gabriel doing well could propel Kelly to compete again for years to come. Pure
1: speculation, so, which is what this radio show
0: is. <laughs> but check this out. Yes. There is a scenario that could uh, end in a surf-off. That would be insane. Which would be insane. So it's and so. Would the
1: surf off determine who's the world champion, Kelly or Gabriel?
0: It would be Mick or Gabriel. Oh, uh, that sucks. Yeah. So in order for that to happen, um, let me see. The I uh, take your time. I'll fill the dead. No, space. let me just read it to you rather than me trying to comb through and then give you the bullet points. Basically, a surf, hop, a surf off happens when, after the last event of the season, two athletes are tied on the final ranking points. So an additional heat is needed for the world title to be decided. If a tie happens, um, the protocol will be determined basically by Kieran Perreault and the um, the head judge. So Mick Fanning and Gabriel Medina could end up deadlocked if Medina is eliminated in rounds two or three and fanning finishes an equal fifth.
1: So that could happen. And wouldn't it be neat? Like, just think this through just from a, like, you know, sort of a fantasy sort of perspective. But so let's say that it's the last day of the waiting period. They have to run no matter what they've got to do a surf off. It's in the afternoon. Pipe's shitty. It's just gone crappy. It's no good at gums, but it's like gnarly and kind of roping at rock pile. Or, or it's, it's insane at log cabins or something, you know, like I guess the permit probably wouldn't let them to go down to log cabins, but it wouldn't that be insane if they did it at some crazy, you know, like rock pile would
0: be gnarly. Well, they, the way that they've got it mapped out is the ideal scenario. If they had enough time and the waves are good is they would hold three heats, 30 minutes each and it would be a best-of-three surf-off. Oh,
1: that's pretty cool. And there would
0: man. be 20-minute breaks in between the heats, so the total runtime is two hours and 10 minutes and all three heats. How are
1: much minute. fun would that be from our perspective? If, especially in in if really good way, yeah. yeah.
0: And in a situation where there's not enough time for the best-of format, there'll be a single surf-off of 35 minutes.
1: 35 minutes of rock pile. You guys or, Yeah, wherever. Sun's, sun's going down. Let's do this.
0: Let's hope it's not lefts <laughs> with mushy lefts. You know, well, for I, mean, I guess
1: their permit They'll probably be surfing, you know, two foot gums or something. Mm-hmm. Who knows?
0: Well, rip curl dropped an edit yesterday, uh, covering their team surfers in Hawaii the last couple of weeks. And it featured Gabriel and Mick. And additionally, like Keikoa bakalsko and like Dylan Perillo and Matt Wilkinson. And I would say that Mick Fanning got the best waves in that edit. Like he got some insane waves at backdoor and, um, and off the wall. So that's worth – I'll post that on surfsplendorpodcast.com. I got a tweet from at Ben Pugsley asking, can you talk pipe judging criteria? Does a crazy drop score compared to roll-ins? Is it all about big barrels?
1: Well, the key word is commitment. So a crazy drop is way more committed than a roll-in. You know, if you're just those two things, if you're just talking those two things, you know, the, the buzzword in the criteria is commitment. You know, I think you show more commitment with a crazy drop than you do a roly-poly roll in it at, at the second. No question. But so, here, so that sort of answers that. No, and it's but it's always not, barrels.
0: But not really, because here's the judging criteria straight out of the book. There's five uh, elements. Commitment and degree of difficulty is one. Innovation, innovative and progressive maneuvers is two, combination of major maneuvers is three, speed of maneuvers is four, or I'm sorry, variety of maneuvers is four, and then speed, power, and flow is number five. They also note, it's important to note that the emphasis of certain elements is contingent upon the location and the conditions of the day, as well as changes of conditions during the day. So that would say that in pipe, commitment and degree of difficulty has more weight on the scale than variety of maneuvers, let's say. But I think Ben or at Ben Pugsley's question is how do you weight those things? Like, okay, I know that a crazy drop has more value than a roll in, but if there's a variety of maneuvers on a wave that the guy rolled into, and the crazy drop has no variety of maneuvers. How do you score those two things? You're shaking your head no.
1: Well, I'm just I'm just saying that look, it's pipeline, and of course. The, the tube is really the only thing that matters. And when you're talking about maneuvers and variety of maneuvers at pipeline, it's how deep did you get? And the variety is based on the length and the the deepness of the barrel, as you know. And I don't mean
0: I'm not. I hope I'm not talking down to you. It's just about the barrel. Well, you're not talking down to me. I understand that, but what I'm saying is the judging. The judges have tried their best to be objective and define a criteria. What I'm saying is now you go into this event and it's almost like, well, yeah, that's the criteria, but we all know what we really want to see, well, which is which you, is not the, you, the judges doing their job.
1: Well, look, you're, you're you know committed variety of maneuvers. There's only one maneuver they really care about, and that's the tube ride. But if variety the, is
0: part of your right, criteria,
1: well, no, but and the variety is how deep did you get? You know, did no, you make not, it up?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Not no, it is. a variety of maneuvers.
1: It is, though it is. No, yeah. that, that would fall under no, no, a like,
0: degree of difficulty. It's
1: it's like aerial. It's like an aerial, right? An aerial, you know, you can do a little one or you can do a big one. Well, it's, it, And I guess, I guess you're right. It's not a variety. It's the same air. Yeah, the but,
0: variety would be a guy who did eight turns on a wave. Well, in, you're right. You know two, what?
1: They do kind of. They do put themselves in a hypocritical or contradictory situation. I think
0: that's Ben Pugsley's point, and that's the point that I'm bringing up, too, is like at Pipe, three out of the five criteria don't really matter. That's fine. And, and well, it's fine as the viewer, but I'm just saying the judges should consider that there's a shortcoming in their criteria going into Pipe and really need to objectively define what they're scoring. There was a sentence in there,
1: though. There was a caveat in your description of yeah. the criteria that said something like, However, at certain breaks, blah, blah, blah. What was that? Read that again. If yeah, you it's
0: important to emphasize certain elements are contingent upon the location and the conditions of the day.
1: Okay, that's their caveat, which is basically that's their ability to say the criteria is thrown out the window. We're at pipeline. It's about the tube right.
0: But the problem with that is we threw the criteria out the window. Now we have free reign to no, subjectively score how we no, want. No, no,
1: no. I mean...
0: I'm yeah, I think you're making advocate. a mountain
1: out of a molehill because we all know that, look, a good tube ride's a good tube ride. A deep tube ride's a deep tube ride. A clean, deep, long barrel where you get fire hosed out the end with your arms in the air, and it's a, oh, my God, I can't believe he made it moment. That's even higher on the level, you know?
0: The problem is they leave themselves open for controversy. With case in point, last year, Mick Fanning going for a world title against Yadon Nickel, He gets the roll in with the fire hose barrel on the inside on the sandbar, where Yadin Nickel got the insane drop blown out on on the reef, and how do you score those two waves? It was completely subjective. They ended up giving it to Mick. The internet gave it to Yadin, and it's never been settled since. I think they could do themselves a favor by defining that here in the rule
1: book. I, I think you're right, but you've also sort of pinpointed something that you know I've been saying for like 15 years, which is really surfing's not a sport. Because if it comes down to this, if these guys can't score their own points, don't have a defense trying to defend them, and uh, you know all my silly little uh, yeah, and I bullet don't points on, on what a true sport is, it's a subjective sport. and
0: But they've, and we, they've worked hard to make it objective at all these other events. Why not but, but see, take the extra one step to just define it for this event?
1: And how would you define it? What's more important, a roll in or a let drop?
0: I would say the late drop takes precedence over the roll in obviously that's not even up for contention but right. I would but say But you're that, also
1: assuming that mixed wave you know like you're assuming that that's what made the difference was that they scored the roll in higher than Yaden's deep they scored the complete wave right, right. exactly higher, that's not point. the roll in specifically right. right and so you know I I thought, it was up and it definitely was a 50 50 call, but I thought Mix Wave, Wave was bigger.
0: I thought Mix was beautiful, and last year I thought he deserved the world title, and so I was happy to see it go the way that it did.
1: And he was the champ, wasn't he? Um,
0: was he did you no, do back to back? Banning. Parco won the previous year. but So last year I was happy with the results, but if you asked me to judge Yaden's Wave versus Mix Wave objectively, or I guess it would be subjectively for me, and just say, look, what was more. Difficult and what deserves a higher score, Yaden's wave was more difficult.
1: I wanted Yaden to win. I mean, you but know. but
0: but again, just take those two waves. Aside from Yaden versus Mick and all that, those two waves. Yadin's Mick's wave was a Mick's little Mick's smaller, roll, right? Because it was Mick's roll arguably, you or I on our best day could have surfed Mick's wave the way that Mick surfed his wave. Roll into that thing, position yourself, get barreled on the sandbar and get spit out. I mean, that's not easy to do, but relatively easy to do relative Yad- to yaden's wave. Yadin's wave you or i on our best way never could have made that happen. you cannot speak for me in this instance i cannot let me just say <laughs> but you are correct let me just say for the record. most surfers yeah. would have a far harder time making yaden's wave than making yeah. mix wave. so you know i think that is what that tweet from Ben Pugsley was about. Was like, look, dude, how do you tease this stuff apart because it doesn't really fit the criteria? And Surfing I think, is
1: not a sport.
0: And I think the judges though would benefit themselves from trying to, to go into this event and redefine what the criteria means. I think you're right. I, I, I
1: you know, after having this conversation with you here, basically that's what you've been trying to say is they need to they need to kind of clarify the criteria for this specific spot with all of this stuff on the line. Totally. Why not be able to point to the criteria and go, it says so right here. When when I raise my hand and say, Hey, I don't get it. Yeah. Why not be able to point and go, well, it says right here that a steep drops more important than a rolling. Right. (laughs) Makes sense. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The gauntlet is laid ASP. Jeez, dude, (laughs) get the judge's rule book (laughs) out and add another line. All right. Well, ASP, uh, December 8th is what you guys are looking for. Um, pipe event. It's what it all comes down to. It's what, I mean, honestly, when I think of December, there's a little bit of Christmas thought in there, but mainly it's pipe event. That's what I'm psyched about in my life. Yeah. And as a grown adult.
1: Yeah. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm seeing, I'm looking here. It doesn't appear that the, um, that the Vans world cup of surfing at sunset is on today. I don't see anything in my email yet about it.
0: You can just go to aspworldtour.com. Oh,
1: there you go. Plus, it's I guess it's only seven thirty there, so seven forty-five. No,
0: they so. usually make the call an hour ago. Uh, I got a hard out in ten minutes, dude. Do you yeah. want to do? Um,
1: well, Dukes and Kooks, and I don't know if I up? have a Duke and a Kook, but um, my musty moment—I think I mentioned—you did was that um, three days at Landis. This stuff here, Stab Magazine, you can find it. Yep, it's pretty insane. Um, I'll show it to you again one more time.
0: Yeah, I watched it.
1: Pretty crazy. These it's just guys are just perfect ganks.
0: offshore groomed right hand beach break barrels somewhere. Yeah, in Yeah, it looks
1: like it could be Baja Malibu or something. But see how the how intense the the spit. firehouse spit is on these yeah. things. They're just it's really draining and some really shallow. Eight to ten foot stand up barrels,
0: and I mentioned the photographer Lawrence Pujols. He's actually surfing in this clip. There's only three waves, and this is him right here.
1: Yeah, and look how clean this wave is. I mean, this kind of thing gets David and I fired up to go. I would be psyched to be getting towed into some of these.
0: Oh, that's our dream scenario, right? Yeah, now. that's that is,
1: that's that's like that's good. I'm good. You know what yeah, I mean? Totally. That's all I need. But um,
0: well, yeah, I've got. Um, so I mentioned my musty moment was Dean Morrison's ride and we'll post that surf splendor podcast.com and down the line radio.com. But I've got a Duke and a kook. Yes. My Duke is an Irish female surfer named eski Britain. A Duke, Have you heard of this girl?
1: Duke Kahanamoko is an Irish female named eski
0: Yes. Are you familiar with her? I don't think I am. She's got an interesting story, Scott. Let me hear it. She, um, went on hiatus from studying for a PhD in Ireland a few years back and um, had a friend who worked for lonely planet, the travel book company, travel company and said like, look, there's this unexplored um, 60 mile stretch of coast in one of the most dangerous parts of the world. Um, It's a coastline that is shared by Pakistan, Afghanistan, Southeast Iran, and it's in the gulf of oman and the area is called ballo uh, i think it's balochistine or something i'd never heard it pronounced before but i just read it balochistine and the new York Times called it the scariest little corner of the world and it boasts um a relatively uh, coastline that's relatively open to swell it's remote it's rugged Typically, Westerners do not visit there, let alone surfers. But she went there to explore the coast for surfing, and she actually got quite, a, quite decent waves. Recorded her journey there and her surf sessions, posted the video on YouTube. When she got back to Ireland, some time went by, and some female surfers in, or I'm sorry, some females in Iran reached out to her and said hey, we saw your video of you surfing in our area on our local beaches. We want you to come back and teach us how to surf. So there's been this uh, subculture that's developed in Southeast Iran of female surfers. She's gone back there a number of times uh, yearly. Now she's gone for a number of years and has been teaching the local Iranian woman how to surf. And they go out in wetsuits, covered, covering their face uh, on top of their wetsuit with traditional garb, you know, uh, in keeping with their religious practices but are learning how to surf and this Irish woman is teaching them how to surf
1: that's awesome crazy, right? It's, she should be our duke for the entire year good for her, I'm a big fan of hers already yeah,
0: I, she's going to make a film about it she posted a trailer so I have the trailer it's called Into the Sea I don't think there's a kickstarter or anything that I'm pitching to you guys it's just strictly for your viewing pleasure you know, the subculture of women surfing in an area that men don't surf you know, just completely remote Rugged, dangerous, super interesting. Bring me my camel.
1: I'm surfing, honey.
0: (laughs) (laughs) How's that impression, dude? That was the worst ever. (laughs) How much for your wife and child? Oh, wow. (laughs) i buy your child. (laughs) I'm going to let you... uh, Sorry. (laughs) I'm not even going to step in. I'm just going to let you...
1: I'm just digging myself up in. Yeah. Carry on. (laughs) Oh, my. Um, Uh, Yeah, so...
0: I've got a... uh, after that heartfelt moment, while Scott's checking his Facebook feed for some reason, are you looking for a, you looking for a duke or a kook right now so no, you can play along? No,
1: no, I'm, right. I'm good. i just wanted to.
0: Um, I got two
1: two kooks,
0: and I don't know if this is just me. I want you to kind of give me your feedback on I can this. Tell
1: you already, it's just you. It, <laughs> really? I don't, I don't know. Go ahead.
0: I just I don't want to be a dick, and I don't want to just call out kooks for the sake of calling out kooks. Yeah. But I get this little twinge of annoyance when I come across this stuff. There's two videos I saw in the past week. One of them is Alex Nost surfing in Mexico. Yeah. Ruka video. The other one is Derek Disney surfing in Orange County during Hurricane Marie video made by Jack Coleman. And they are just the definition of hip hipster videos, you know, like the Jack Coleman video shot on eight millimeter with all this like filters and stuff. It's just such a stylized edit. And the surfing that Nost and Derek Disney are doing is retro and hipster. And they're riding weird funky boards that just look almost impossible to surf, but they're just so styled out. And I'm not against that style of surfing. What I'm kind of against is it is strictly for the sake of, uh, self-expression, I'm not even against self-expression, but it's like at the detriment of actually getting barreled is the problem. You know, like, like Alex knows doesn't make a barrel at perfect barreling right point break in Mexico. Like he gets styled out and pulls into closeouts. But if you were just actually trying to make that wave, you could have got barreled and came out. And. I think that... The equipment is holding him back. And and the fact that he's trying to soul arch in the thing is holding him back. Like, I think style should come after function. Like, get barreled, make the barrel, and then once you're... And the problem is, he's proficient enough to make the barrel. Those guys both surf incredibly, and they surf better than I will ever surf. But I think you should... Be making the barrel should be your primary focus. And then getting styled out in the barrel should be your secondary focus. And who am I to say what you should be doing? But, you know, we have a podcast and it should be opinionated. And so I'm taking a stance. And so it's like, I think that things have gotten so far down the road in terms of like everybody's um, uh, an expressionist and we're going to send a camera crew with you and we're going to pay your bill to go to Mexico. So now just do what you want to do. And it's like, okay, well I'm going to pull into closeouts doing soul arches. I think we kind of have gone overboard a little bit, jump the shark a little (laughs) bit where it's like, well, if I'm going to commit three minutes to watching this, this surf video, I would like to see you make a barrel. Yeah. That's just me. Yeah. I don't know. What are your thoughts?
1: You know, I, 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 I know where you're coming from on that. You know, um, yeah, I guess my thoughts are, I don't know. I, I always look at it like if there's something bothering me, it's usually something within myself that needs to be excavated. It's not necessarily what that person, the other yeah, person, is saying. Yeah. So I, I need to kind of look at what is it that they're doing that's bothering me. You yeah. Know, like, and so, um, you it, know, I don't know what that is in this case because it's not me. It's you. Yeah. But you, um, you're welcome to comment if you have an opinion. <laughs> what it is in me, I don't know. I don't. I would just you know say that. You know, you have a a certain a certain like aesthetic that you would hope is is adhered to. And in this case, it's not being adhered to. And so it's sort of offensive a little bit to, you know, on a real granular level. It just bums you out, you know, that that maybe it's that they're they're getting a lot of play out of it. You know, they're doing these videos, they're spending this money, they're doing all this stuff and they're not making the tube. (laughs) It's kind of like it's kind of like, dude, but you got to ask yourself, why do you care? You know, like, yeah, and I guess the, the the thing that's probably bothering you is that people are buying it like people are there's people that are buying in.
0: If you read and, the comments section, they're not buying. Okay, it. And well, I mean, see they're
1: then, pretty brutal. All right. Well, but then.
0: but what's crazy Cause, to cause me, both those guys are really good. surfers. they're incredible. That's the thing is, I and I actually like them as I,
1: I think part of it is, at least for me, is when I see some of that stuff sometimes. And you see it on Facebook. A lot of guys are self promoters, which is fine. I, I've been one to put stuff up, too is that um, it seems a little bit insincere. Right. In other words, if there wasn't a camera on, would they be doing that? And the answer is probably no. They'd probably be trying to make the barrel, or right. at least that would be their number one priority right. is to make the barrel. If they were on a forgotten island of Santosha by themselves with a coconut and a cartoon girlfriend, they would you know, be making the tube, and they probably wouldn't be doing that soul arch. If the soul arch is for the camera, then it's not truly self-expression.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. I like that you made that point. Yeah. That makes me feel better about my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'd like to reiterate. I like Alex Nost. I like his surfing, and I like Derek Disney and his surfing. And I think that they're incre—they actually are incredibly talented surfers. Like I've seen Nost riding, you know, ten-foot longboards better than anybody else, and then I've seen him do airs on shortboards in Newport. You know, so a lot of range in his surfing too. So it just kind of bums me out when it's like, man, I know your potential, and that you could be kind of—I don't know this edit could just be something way more than it is.
1: And, and part of it too might be that at least for me is that look, the true soul surfers aren't going out and filming themselves doing this thing. Like it's That's not really point. soul. It, like there's guys that are incredibly soulful that are at that, that, you know, you and I know that I know that are down at some spot in Mexico and don't want to be found. Don't want me to talk about them. And, and I'm not gonna, exactly. you know what I mean? And there's a lot of guys like that. And, and then there's guys that are trying to capture that essence, um, capture that like soul vibe. And you just, at the point that you're trying to capture it and sell it, you know, maybe, maybe you've lost it. That's maybe where it
0: seems a little bit hypocritical or like there's a conflict somewhere. Yeah. There. There's
1: a conflict for yeah, sure. You know,
0: I agree. Wow. I'm glad we got to the bottom of this. Yes. <laughs>
1: Excavating. <laughs>
0: wow. I feel much better. I'll be able to sleep well tonight. <laughs>
1: I wish I could sleep better
0: tonight. Man, I'm beat up. Yeah. Uh. Well, Scott, excellent show. Yeah. When yes. we get back, maybe Pipeline will be over. We'll be back in two weeks. Yeah, two weeks. It'll be weeks right po- before Christmas. Okay, because, oh. Like the 15th,
1: 16th? Okay, yeah, I'll be around then. Okay, good. I leave. I'll tell you off, off the air when okay. I leave.
0: Yeah. yeah. 15th or 16th, listeners, tune in. We'll be back. I'll be back next week with an interview with Gary Linden, actually. Cool. Yeah.
1: Well, Gary's won the um, – he's won a couple of the competitions um, the best of show competitions yep. at the boardroom and at Sacred Craft for um, I think he won for best wooden designed board ask him about the agave stuff that mm-hmm. he does or the I think it's yucca tree okay. excuse me but he he goes down to I think it's San Miguel or no it might be Toto Santos but it might be San Miguel and he literally uh, harvests yucca from San Miguel and then dries that stuff out and makes boards out of yeah out of the yucca from san miguel and yeah. i think that so he he's Import- an interesting guy Important a great board great
0: builder guy. and then also founded the big wave world tour so he's right. got a lot of influence there and experience there so yeah definitely interesting dude so look for that on surf splendor podcast next week and then the following week scott Nile regroup
1: yeah so um david's email if you want to get a hold of david is hello hello
0: surf dot com.
1: hello at surf dot com. And you can reach me at Scott at no wait, Surf Talk San Diego at gmail.com. Surf Talk San Diego at gmail.com. And uh, Boardroom Show is my Twitter, and Boardroom Surf is my Instagram. So, um, and w- what's your Instagram?
0: At Surf Splendor. At Surf Splendor.
1: Okay, so until next time, I uh, guess we say adios. Aloha.
0: Nazare is the official pronunciation for the big wave spot in Portugal. I apologize for butchering it during the show. I blame it on Bassey. He started it a year ago, but Nazare is the official pronunciation. Uh, according to next week's guest, actually Gary Linden, who again, founder of the big wave world tour. Um, so he spent time there and I'm sure that there's a more Portuguese way of pronouncing it, but Gary has lived in Brazil Speaks Portuguese, all that stuff. Nazare is what we're calling it from now on, uh, behind the trend, probably. But that's what it is. All right. Thank you for listening. Uh, I'm going to shout out, actually, to Bassy. When I was leaving his place today after recording the show, he offered to let me borrow a surfboard. He's just got a ton of surfboards in his garage. And uh, let me borrow this super interesting Daniel Thompson Tomo um, shortboard and it's kind of an outdated design for tomo but still super rad uh shout out to Bassi, thank you for that it has revitalized my interest in surfing this upcoming swell that we have running tomorrow it's supposed to be like three to four feet so not particularly big but it'll be good just to have a new board to ride and um i will post a photo i'll instagram that board tomorrow morning after the session Uh, just so people could check that out. It's got glass-on fins that are, you know, an odd shape, kind of hatchet-type shape but rounded. Um, And I haven't ridden glass-on fins on a shortboard in a long time either, so that'll just be a change of pace too. So thank you for that, Bassie. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you're interested in Surf Splendor, maybe you're new to the show, all past episodes are archived for free on surfsplendorpodcast.com or in iTunes, or Stitcher, or anywhere that you would normally download a podcast. If you do listen in one of those podcast apps, also rate and review the show. That's your way to help the show grow. And again, just share it with friends. We don't advertise the show at all, and it slowly just gains momentum, and it's strictly by you telling friends about it. So we encourage you to continue doing so, and we'll continue producing the show. And if you want to check out that Instagram of the Tomo board that Bassie let me borrow— uh, at Surf Splendor is the Instagram and then you can find us of course on Facebook just facebook.com slash surf Splendor Thank you, everyone. Enjoy this Hawaiian season. If you're not on the rock, at least check it out online, uh, ASPWorldTour.com. Watch the Vans, World Cup of Surfing. It's super rad. And then, of course, the upcoming Pipe Masters cannot get enough of that. All right. Enjoy the season. I'll be back next week with Gary Linden, and we will chat then. Thanks for listening. This is David Scales saying ciao. Yeah.